What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan with RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming to you live in a living color from the Radio What Studios. And this is my podcast, What Makes You Famous? It's an extension of the RadioWhat.com internet radio station that I've been running for quite some time. And if you need DJ services, where do I always send you? DJLittleRock.com. One more time, DJLittleRock.com. Check availability and get a free price quote, and maybe you could have me at your next event. You know I like to party with the people. The people need to be entertained. Let me entertain you. Are you not entertained? Make your next thing a big one. Speaking of entertainment, today on the program, The Enemy. Who's The Enemy? Well, you're going to find out in the next few minutes. So stick around. This week's shows, I have no public shows. <laughs> so I have no shows. Uh, they've the, the, the two places, well, it's Thanksgiving week, so happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, it's also uh, Friday night at the Rab. Uh, well, Black Friday, they're staying closed. So uh, uh, look for look for the look at the Rab's Facebook page for more information. Uh, I think they're closed for a certain reason. Anyway, I'm not going to put their laundry on this podcast. It's time to get into it with the enemy. <laughs> and uh, I got him on Skype. So if you're listening to the audio version of this, I encourage you to check out the video version on my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash keys, Dan, or just look up keys, Dan. Yeah, I know you'll see three different YouTube pages. It's the one that has the radio what logo. So there you go. All right, let's get into it with the enemy Skyping the enemy now. There he is, the there enemy. You go. <laughs> Can you hear me? Oh yeah, for sure, man. Okay, perfect, you, perfect. you sound great. Sure. You look great. And Thank you, man. Good to have Appreciate you it. on the podcast, almost face to face, using this great technology. Yeah, he's dead here. Yep. Thank you for having me. By the way, is it the enemy? Yes. Why the enemy? Said, uh, you know, coming from uh, if you don't know, for those that don't know, listening, I from Toronto originally, so Canada. And uh, in Toronto, actually, it's a little tricky. It was a little tricky to kind of break in to the music industry just because crossing the border and different things like that. And like locally, it's very difficult in terms of because we never had that. Uh, I guess you could say that mass appeal or that commercial scene and different, different things like that. So for me, it was a little tricky in the beginning. I felt a little bit of resistance from a lot of the local places, I guess you could say, like, you know, the local scene. So I kind of went with that name and I was like, you know, that's a cool name to kind of throw it back in people's faces, but also kind of, it, for me, it also signifies being different. Like, you know, just being unorthodox and things like that. Oh yeah. Branding is definitely a, a thing that you have to do uh, to uh, get yourself known. And the enemy is just as good as a brand as any. And the way yep. that you spelled it is kind of cool with the D yep. apostrophe N M E getting yep, that definitely. right out of the way. I know yeah. if you Google that, you pretty much come up, man. Uh, your yeah. official website comes up, your your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram. But uh, give the people an idea of who you are. Well, I know you're from Toronto, Canada. Yeah. 
And, and you know, what's it like uh, being uh, being a rapper in Toronto, well, Canada and being you? Well, honestly, you, to be honest with you, one thing is uh, I learned to enjoy the process of it, even though in the earlier stages, it was a little bit tricky to like navigate and things like that. I think as I grew musically and lyrically and all those things like that, I kind of started to appreciate different things of like how the process is and all that type of stuff. Right. So I think for me, I just think differently when it comes to that type of stuff. Like I didn't, I, although I still would have a chip on my shoulder, I never let it hinder me, so to speak, you know? So like, I didn't, I didn't let those things like those obstacles and different things hinder me. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna use this to my advantage and things like that. But, um, growing up in Toronto, to be honest with you, it's really, uh, I would say it's, you know, it's always, again, good experience, great upbringing and different things like that. It's just when I got into music, I start to see things a little bit differently because it's just the music industry on the whole, whether in the States, whether in Europe, whether in Canada, it's just a tricky thing. I don't like to say difficult because like, I don't like to be negative or whatnot, but I feel like it's very tricky to navigate in no matter where you're from. Right. So for me, starting in Toronto, I used to not understand that whole part of like the like lack of support and different things in that nature. So, you know, for me, it's tough to get used to that and then getting accustomed to how things work. And then when I start to travel to the States and different things, it's a little bit different because you, you're not from there. So you get a kind of different respect, so to speak. Man, already just talking to you, just meeting you for the first time and just getting to know you a little bit, you already have the gift of gab. So that is like the, the beginning of rap, knowing how to put words together, becoming a, yeah. a sort of a wordsmith. Uh, when did you know that yes. you had that skill? Was that something that you were uh, coming up in grade school? Did you read a lot when you were a kid? Did you learn words? What, what, how was it growing up? It, 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 you know, you're from Toronto, right? Born and raised? Yeah. Yeah, for okay. sure. Hold on. You know, I'm getting some feedback. I wonder if the headphones will work. Hold on. Two yeah. seconds. Let's see, how's this sound? Yeah, it sounds great. And plus, okay. if you just cool. center yourself up on the on the camera, uh, we'll get a little yeah. video on this as well. If people are just listening to the audio version, they can slip on yeah. over to the YouTube and check out the video version. <laughs> okay, cool. And I, Sweet. I and, you, and, and see your wonderful face right there next to me. See, as I'm pointing, I'm pointing at you on my broadcast software. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, nice. all right. So growing up Toronto, man. And, you know, when did yeah. you know you had the gift of gab? How did that how did that formulate? How did that uh, come about? I think I've always liked conversation. Even as a kid, I spoke a lot, talked about, talked a lot. You know, so for me, I didn't know poetically I had anything like that. When I started to make uh, music, I, like start to rap, actually, I didn't think it was good in the beginning. You know, like I enjoyed it. I, I loved the music of it, the culture and everything. But starting out, I, as I'm sure everybody does, like it wasn't good. You know, like it just didn't sound uh, seasoned. But I had just started. Right. But I always was good at English. And different things like that. So words have never been an issue for me. When I started to write rhymes and different things and kind of develop a little bit, I started to learn how to connect words, you know, so syllables and different things like that, because in terms of rap, anybody can rap, uh, rhyme cat, hat, bat and things like that, you know, but when you start saying syllables and typical and reciprocal and you start putting these like words together and like aligning them with other phrases, you know, when you start doing things like that, you start to get more advanced. So once I start to get the key to that and start to see that, obviously my writing and my rhyming capability expanded, you know? So for me, I guess being good at English, I think helps, but I think being a natural conversationalist helps as well. Cause I'm just able to speak freely in different things like that. So it never really, some people that are, I guess you could say more socially awkward, they may have trouble doing it. But again, some people still express themselves well, even if they're socially awkward through art, 
But for me, it was just a natural thing, I guess, in terms of, of vocals, in terms of speaking and whatnot. Well, the enemy uh, growing up in the eighties and uh, in the early uh, days mm-hmm. of rap, when uh, you know Crush Groove, the Fat yes. Boys, that uh, you know the Curtis Blow and and Run DMC, it it always seemed to me that it was pretty basic. It was pretty simple. I'm the best mm-hmm. from the east to the west. Uh, I'm the, I got the big mouth from the north to the south. You know, it, it was very simple. And it seems like rap has really been challenging itself lately, getting more and more intricate. As you were saying, it's not just the cat, bat, hat. It's yeah. getting words that may not rhyme, but you twist them with your yes, with yes. your mouth and, and get them to rhyme. Uh, you know, yeah. well, who were the who were the people that you were growing up with? I mean, I mean I'm I'm a much older man than you. That who were your influences? Who who's the people that you were growing up with and, and you were trying to emulate? As you first started, my favorite rapper, really, for example, is Heavy D. And I, I know, nice. uh, you know, he, he to me, he is the epitome of rap. Uh, you know, yeah. somebody for me and, and uh, yeah. he, you know, just just the wonder, the wonder of Heavy D. But who's the guys that that had you going when you were for a kid? Me, for me, I would say a lot of lyricists. So Tupac, even though his stuff was a little bit more people say basic, I still think he put a lot of thought and he put a lot of syllables and different things in his rhymes jay-z eminem i would say uh royce the five nine there's a lot of underground guys too so also i would say Nas is another one Nas was like really big and uh guys like that that i even went back right like i would i would look at what guys like jay-z looked into and i would go back so i went to big daddy kane i really liked his stuff i liked um Coogee rap cannabis was another one so what i did was I looked at these guys and I kind of would write in the beginning stages, you know, I'd write down their rhymes and just study it almost like a scientist in a sense. So I would see where certain words landed. And if you are uh, in music terms or whatnot, when you have the snare, which is like on the four counts, so it's like one, two, three, four, four is the snare. When you go to that, usually the rhymes would land on there in a basic rhyme. But with these guys, it was all throughout the one and the two, and it was going all in the uh, different places of music. And I looked at that and I was like, okay, that's really interesting because they're not only rhyming the end of the line, they're doing internal rhymes. I think Rakim was probably the first guy to do that. From my understanding and like research, he did internal rhymes and he said he likened it to a saxophone player. So that was his style. So I went back and, you know, dabbled around in different things just to see where certain things came from, you know? Oh, Eric B and Rakim, they were a great yeah. team for sure. Absolutely. My goodness. I still play them at parties whenever I'm DJing <laughs> and they give me free range. And I go, you know what? I'm going old school hip hop. I'm going That's old amazing. school rap. And, and I'll put on uh, that the, this is a journey into sound, you know, and it was, yeah. it, oh, my goodness. As soon as that that comes up, the, a certain a level of person that's out there in the crowd uh, recognizes that. And then that bass just starts rocking through the speakers and that just gets the booties on the dance floor. Man, yes. yeah, that that's basic old school, and really, mm. all those rhymes, all those, uh, uh, all those um, beats were stolen mm. from previous. Yeah, yeah, we're always building yeah. on the on the shoulders of giants. You know, those yeah. beats were stolen from the '60s and the '70s, Absolutely. and turned into '80s and '90s. Uh, you know, so who's ma- all right? Let's get into get into that. Who's making your beats? Are you doing it all yourself, or or do you have people a, a team? So I have um I have a a team. I have one go to guy. His name's uh John Bonus. A uh, special shout out to John Bonus. He's uh actually originally from Atlanta. I think he's back in Atlanta right now, but he was residing in Colorado for a couple of years. I hooked up with him through a singer that I wanted to work with by the name of Adam Duncan. 
we did a couple songs together and um once getting with john it was really good because i that's one thing i was in need of early in my career but i didn't know who to go to for that in terms because people think oh you just go to a producer but the truth is when you're making music i think someone has to get to know you and get to know what you want to do and kind of help mold that while adding things as well so for me wanting to be just a great rapper just i want to just rap right he taught me how to okay you know what that's all fine and dandy but you got to dumb it down for certain songs if you have to simplify certain things you can still keep your lyrical integrity but there's certain records you can't just do that with every song so he taught me how to structure those type of things and then when we would work in the studio we would start with a conversation you know that was really different because a lot of producers i had come in contact with they would just give you a beat They'd be like, oh hey here's some beats and the thing is they didn't make that with you in mind if that makes sense you know like they made it just to either put it out there or they just made it whatever came to them. But when I work with John, we sit down, we have a conversation of where I'm at, whether it be life, just what I want to do. And then we kind of start going in that direction, you know? So, so every record is different, but it starts with the conversation. I really like that aspect of it rather than just, Hey, here's a beat rap on it. And you know, there's, it's just not really a lot of thought. I mean, that can happen too. Cause I do have other producers where I've done that with, but I just like the idea of the structure with John. Yeah, I do have a stack of karaoke beats and every once in a while, a freestyle rap explosion, just uh, a battle comes, uh, yeah. just, uh, it, uh, it just comes to come to, to a fruition in the middle of a party. Hey, you got any beats? Yeah, I got some beats. Let me throw something yeah. on there for you. And a freestyle rap uh, party uh, just comes, comes out. You know, I throw a microphone mm-hmm. to one guy and a, another microphone to another guy. But it's good to have a team that builds yeah. and builds and gets and makes a relationship because I, I know you can't do it all yourself. You can try to do no, it all yourself. That. I know a lot yeah. of rappers that are SoundCloud rappers and, and, and that, and you know, that that's become a, a polarizing thing to say, Oh, I'm a SoundCloud yeah. rapper. That means yeah. that, that you're, you're in your bedroom, you got your fruity loops or your FL, I guess FL studio is what it's called. Now you make your own beats, you rap over your own beats into a, you know, a good quality microphone. You can do it all yourself, but it's nice to have a producer. And I'm glad you're giving credit where credit is due. I love giving shout outs to people, man. And you said that you were influenced by some of the the more obscure underground. Hey, maybe you'll turn some of my listeners on to something new. Uh, one of those obscure underground guys, if you can remember any of them. Um, some of them, to be honest with you, some of them did get some sort of notoriety, but they weren't, I guess you, they weren't commercialized, if, if that makes sense. So like Royce the Five Nine is an example. He was uh, really close to Eminem in the earliest stages and he kind of segued and did his own thing or whatnot. And guys even like Talib Kweli, right? They, they're known, but they're really respected on what you would consider the underground, you know, like even to this day, when you see a lot of these guys now, you look at it and you're like, wow, they still have bodies of work that kind of go under the radar. Funny enough, Royce the Five Nine, he actually is nominated for a Grammy. I think, I believe in 2021, which is his first ever nomination. And he's probably like 12, 13, 15 albums in already. Right. So like the idea that what he just stuck to what he was doing and that still got him a level of notoriety, you know? So guys like that were really good. Um, there's a lot of guys in uh, Canada, like one one guy from Toronto, J.D. Era. He's really good. I've always thought he was really good coming from uh, Toronto. And I, I hadn't, I think he, he was probably doing it way before I even started rapping. You know, he's like in the scene or whatnot. And he just has a consistent body of work in different things, you know. But like I said, going back to the whole navigating, I think it's hard for a lot of um, rappers from here to kind of leave and expand, so to speak, because... Again, sometimes in other regions, they don't really accept you, so to speak, right? So even if you have 
so much skill. It's very difficult for people to navigate. But in terms of underground, those would be the, some of the guys that, you know, influence me and that I respect. Man, I did talk to one guy up there and I want to give a shout out to uh, Outlaw Radio. And this guy, yes. have you, have you, he's up there in, in Canada. Uh, I don't think I don't think I've heard of him. Maybe maybe if uh, you showed me a picture or like Outlaw Radio or is his name Outlaw? Yeah, I I, I oh my goodness, I can't remember what his name is, but he has a, oh, a little radio station, Outlaw Radio, and he really supports okay. a lot of the new rappers nice. and and new hip hop guys. I'd love to put you together with him because he does oh, nice. do a lot of interviews with with uh, with rappers that are up okay. and coming. But uh, nice. you know, let's go back to to you know, you said you were in school and you you liked English. Uh, did you find yourself uh, getting rhyming ha- uh, handbooks or, or were you talking to the ladies? Were you, did you find that you had the, the gift of gab that, that uh, made a certain kind of, of person uh, just, it was responsive to people. You know, when you were in the hallways, were you rapping at that time? I, I'm just imagining a, a young DNME uh, just, uh, just, you know, doing it, you know, by himself or maybe with a group of kids uh, who was your crew. Uh, growing up in, in Toronto. So for me, going back to school or whatnot, I don't think uh, I had the gift of the gap with the ladies personally. That came like later, like, you know, later in life, I learned more conversational type skills. But um, usually what would happen in high school was there were ciphers and different things, right? So this was a time where freestyling, like off the top freestyling or whatnot was a thing. Like you probably go into a circle, 30 seconds, you say a piece, other guy says a piece and it kind of goes around or whatnot. And that was the first time I believe in high school was where I saw rappers actually in front of me, people who could do it in front of me, which let me know. I was like, wow, this is actually cool. And this is something that's attainable. And as far as skill goes, you know, because there were some really good guys that just were freestyling, you know, and just doing it on lunch breaks or whatever the case may be. So for that, like that was like my initial like wow moment, so to speak. Right. Like I was like, I was already listening to hip hop, obviously, but just seeing somebody do it is very different from you seeing it on TV. and it's manufacturing again as a 16 year old kid you don't know the difference you're just like oh this this happens out there but then when you see somebody doing it in front of you i was able to reach out to those people and ask them like how do you do this and how do you put this together and then later on after leaving high school or not i started to really delve into um dvds and documentaries about hip-hop whether it be the business the skills or whatever the case may be i would really like absorb all of that you know so one thing i learned was there's a rapper um i'm not sure if you heard of him by the name of MC Supernatural. So he's like considered the greatest probably freestyle, off the top freestyle MC of all time because he just does improvised rhymes. Like I don't I don't even know if he bothers writing anything because he just goes off the top and it, he'll pick things out of a hat in the crowd when he does shows and stuff. So I was watching this documentary called Freestyle. Showcased him and there's another guy, MC Juice, who was really good. And I would just see that he used a rhyming dictionary to expand his vocabulary. So I got that later. And one thing I noticed, because rap is very mental, you know, so I would read the rhyming dictionary, but a lot of my, my brain started getting attached to having perfect rhymes, you know, so I wanted to step away from that. And like, so what I would do is write a rhyme down and try, as you said earlier, bend the words and like focus on the vowel and different things like that. So that helped me develop even more. So I did use, I did look at the, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the rhyming dictionary if I was writing something you know, but I would just read through it or whatever. The dictionary was another one, just a regular dictionary to expand my vocabulary and whatnot. But, um, I would notice as I did that, I just started to develop, but what helped me develop even more was just getting in the habit of writing and freestyling like every day, just doing that and being 
very disciplined with the whole craft, you know, because there's a lot of guys, I believe that, you know, they write and they write when they need to, or they do it a couple of times, but doing it like disciplined every day and sitting down and saying, look, I'm going to write this, whether it be four lines, eight lines or whatever the case may be, just something where you're developing the habit. That was like another gem I got from John, the producer, because he was like, you just got to get into the habit because when he produces, he does it every day, you know, whether it comes out or not, it's just getting your practice in. It sounds like John's a good dude to have in your corner because Absolutely. it's just like any other job. It's work, man. you got to work at yeah. it. And the writing part, putting it down on paper is going to help you remember uh, better. A lot of people are like that. Now, some people have mm-hmm. photographic memories to where they can look at one thing and, and just remember it forever and ever, man. I, I don't yeah. have that memory. I got to write it no. down. I got to read it yeah. over and over. I got to underline it. I got to underscore it. I got to write it again. And make sure that I remember it. That's how I, I used to get through my tests, you know, when oh, I was nice. doing different classes. And that's how a lot of people get through their tests. So, yeah, just like any other job, you got to work and you got to yeah. write. So who's cultivating uh, this uh, this interest when you said, hey, mom, dad, I want to be a rapper. Uh, what did they say? And, and brothers and sisters or, or those people that, that you saw in the cafeteria, uh, were you able to go up to them and say, hey, teach me, teach me what you do? How do I do that? So in the beginning stage, it's like, so my dad, when I was younger, he passed away. So he wasn't around. He didn't get to the point of like seeing that. But my mom, she was, um, she, at first she didn't understand it because she doesn't come like culturally. My mom's from Trinidad, right? So she doesn't, she didn't come from that. Like, you know, come from understanding like music and different things in terms of like getting into it. Right. For her, she's like, you want to do music? Like it takes like, like she, she more not, she wasn't dismissive by any means, but she just didn't understand it the way I was looking at it like in the future for me. Right. I just looked at it. I was like, I want to do this and I'm doing this, you know, like figure it out as you go, but I'm doing this now moving into school. I don't think like the friends around me, I I don't, I didn't have friends around me in terms of that were in my like group or whatever that were really interested in actually pursuing rap. They would listen to it or whatnot, but the other kids in school that would do it, I think it was a pastime thing for fun. Me, I knew like, even I want to do this now when I would go up to them, one guy was really good. We're still like friends. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but he really helped me out in terms of the freestyling and just the development. Cause he was actually making songs. Like he was going to a studio at his friends and he was making records and doing different things really raw at the time, but he was probably the best in that group, in that circle. So I would just pick his brain all the time and ask him, how do you go about this? How do you do this? And what I didn't realize at the time was everyone has their own development. You know, so whereas somebody may excel in whatever it may be freestyling, you know, someone else may be a, just a better writer, but they have to find that, you know, like you can like there's some there's some rappers out right now that don't know how to freestyle. Right. Like they don't come off the top or anything like that. And that I mean, I don't know if that really matters in this era. I know in like the 80s and 90s, it really mattered. You know, like it was a thing that it was like a badge of honor, so to speak. So in the earlier stages for me. I just had to figure out, I didn't know this at the time, but I had to figure out my style and what I was going to excel at. Right. So one thing that I remember happening was that same friend of mine, Corey was his name. He, um, he had a birthday party and I went to his party and we were doing some freestyling there. And that was the first time I got a good reaction from the crowd. I had written a rhyme and that was going back to what you said about memorizing. I had written, I want to say 16 lines. So like a 16 bar verse or whatnot. And I memorized it enough for the first couple of lines. Cause I didn't know about memorization techniques that I know now, but I memorized enough and I said it and I was using syllables, you know? So I was using various uh, rhyme combinations and it was the first time I got a good reaction. I was like, okay, this is, this is it, right? Like I'm like, I'm kind of 
getting somewhere with this. So I started to follow that path of rhyming, you know, and I would listen to another guy I didn't mention was Big L. He was actually murdered. Um, you probably heard of Big L. I'm pretty sure you might have heard about him around the way or whatnot, but he's from Harlem and he um, he was doing that multi-syllable stuff. You know, he was he was putting that together earlier on. And that was someone that resonated with me. So I would listen to all his freestyles, all of his songs and everything. And that's how I kept developing. So for me, it was a combination of listening to like the actual rappers who were doing it, picking the brains of the kids that did it in school and kind of putting that together, you know, and then just seeing what worked for me and what didn't work and then just experimenting basically. Yeah. What's an example of multi-syllable? Uh, I, I'm not a rapper, so I, I don't know that. That what a multi-syllable is. What is that? Okay, so basically that's more than one syllable. So if you said um if you said spellbound, hell down, hell bound, you know, like things like gel now, like you're putting you're you're focusing on both the syllables. So like for example, your name, Keys Dan, you know, if my fist don't hit you, my knees can. Like I'm putting this, I'm putting the two words together and I'm rhyming those words, you know? So you're rhyming every syllable in the phrase. So there may be tri triple syllable rhymes and quadruple syllables and you rhyme all of those, you know? So it, it's, it's, that's goes back to, it's more than just a basic cat, bat, hat, sat, right? You know, you're expanding on the words. Oh, that is style, man. Now, uh, speed, we touched a little bit about, uh, about speed and, and, uh, and, 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 but I, I remember Twista and Busta Rhymes, they like to throw Absolutely. a lot of syllables at you. Pop, 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 <laughs> rapid fire. And then you talk mm. about Jay-Z. He even has a, a commercial out that says, slow it down. And you yeah. kind of slow it down. Yeah. Jay-Z was a lot slower and more methodical mm. when he did his, his rapping. Mm. You know, out of the two, do you feel, do you, do you do both styles where you try to throw a lot of syllables at somebody? Or are you mostly, you know, just get the words out and get a story out? Are you a storyteller? Or, or are I can, you I can, more of the syllable? I pride myself on, um, I can do, I can do all. Like, I know uh, not to sound too arrogant, but I, I can do all. It just depends on the record. So like, again, going back to the record with John, like when I work with John as an example, if I had to give you a quick one, if we were in the studio and I said, look, I just want to do some rap stuff. I just want to rap. I want to say some stuff. He would get inspired to do something. And we'd start putting something together. And then based on that, whatever the style was, I would go in that direction. So if it was a faster tempo, I would go more in that direction. If it was something slower, I would go with that. You know, um, I don't, I used to, to be honest with you, I used to have a, a, a huge desire to go fast all the time because I just wanted to be good at that. Because like you said, when you talk about guys like Twista and like Busta Rhymes, they're, they're very precise and methodical with those syllables. You know, like you, like you, some people like they try to rap fast, but like you have to be really methodical because you can only get a certain amount of syllables that, are in that flow for that song, you know, and for that line as well, like you have to do that. So th that's something that you have to really be careful of when you're rapping fast. And then when you're going slow, you kind of run the risk of maybe it being drawn out too much, you know? So like, <clears throat> as an example, Jay-Z, when he does something slower, it, it's heard, but it's how he inflects his voice. It's how he does the delivery of it that makes it interesting. Because ironically enough, Jay-Z used to rap really fast back in like the eighties and stuff, he was really, really fast. And he slowed it down as he came, as he got more commercial and different things. Cause he got that people needed to understand what he was saying, you know? So it just depends on what the type of record is. I mean, nowadays, some people really like that cause you don't hear it too much. Like Buster Rhymes still does it, but he's not releasing music all the time, you know? So if he releases a project like he did a couple weeks ago, people are excited to hear it cause it's Buster Rhymes, but 
you know, as it goes on right now, a lot of the rappers are doing it slower. That's just the style that people do. Right. So I, I try to balance it out depending on what the record is. Yeah. I've noticed a, a lot of the, the styles of the rappers that are going on right now. It's a lot of the same rhythms. It's a same rhythm. And I'm going, yeah. man, where's the, where's the, the difference? Where's the, the people that are, are really breaking out. And I'm guessing there's some, it's gotta be in the, in, it seems like everything on the radio is, is now it's, it's that rhythm. Uh, have you yeah. found that or is it, is, is there stuff that I'm missing because I'm not listening to the same stations? Uh, no, no. Yeah. I think you're pretty accurate with that. What it is, is, um, so like that for, for us to like discuss that, you got to now get into some of the business of it. Right. It's basically, that's what's working, I guess, amongst the younger generation, right? Like that, like that style works. So right now, a lot of those record companies, they push that and that's understandable. And when you have guys that are more, I guess you could say lyricists and they're, they're more wordy in their verses and different things like that, it doesn't necessarily always resonate on a commercial level because it's almost as if people like the melody of it. So when they hear the wordiness, they're like, what is this? Like, it's so foreign to them. Whereas there's a pocket of hip hop people that still appreciate that. Like when you said you throw on Eric B and Rakim, I'm sure there are people in that crowd that are like, oh, thank you. I've been waiting to hear this, you know, or they just reminisce because they're like, wow, this is what I grew up on. So a lot of times now what's on the radio, yeah, it's more melodic. And I think that's what is the current sound commercial wise, you know, that. It, it, again, it's a little harder to find on Spotify and the internet and stuff, but it's there, like that lyrical rap and that just people being dope and just rapping and, you know, again, syllables and being clever with their verses. That's still there, but it's just not dominant in the mainstream, you know, but you're totally right about that, you know, assessment, basically. <laughs> well, I guess that is the problem when the record companies get involved. You got a suit yeah. that may or may not uh, be a, a of a, a rapper. Now I, I'm guessing when Jay-Z produces people and maybe John produces people, does, does John play music? Does he, does he have a, a rap career of his own or is his, his uh, forte strictly uh, recording and putting the music, uh, you know, mastering and mixing. So John's, John's a producer and for him, <clears throat> what he is, he specializes in that like realm. So for him, he listens to everything. That's one thing I did learn from him to absorb everything. You know, he was just like, don't, don't limit yourself to, again, just lyrical rap or um, non-complex rap. Just listen to everything. Because at the end of the day, you have to be a fan of music. And that's just what it is, right? So if I don't, even if I'm not, it's not my cup of tea, I still try to give it a listen, you know, just to see what's going on. Because there are some things that those artists do that you can kind of see and be like, you know what, I'm going to do this in my own way. I'm going to kind of, I'm going I'm to incorporate this into what I'm doing or whatnot. And if you're, if you come from a great like rap base basically so basically if you're if your style is complex and you really know how to rap that stuff's gonna sound so good when you do it you know like if biggie smalls had done some of the new stuff it would sound so great because if you remember the track um notorious thugs on his life after death album he actually was doing the bone thugs flow you know he he went and he did that and he it sounded so good he kind of mimicked he did their style in his way you know he was flawless at it so you can still do that. I just think what people find an issue with is when it's always the same and there's no change. You know, when you see new guys doing that, that are skillful at rap, it's refreshing because they don't normally do that. So when they throw that in there, it sounds good. But when you see newer guys just doing the same thing, it could get, it can get redundant, you know? And that's why I think the shelf life 
for a lot of like the newer guys that do that, it's not too long. You know, sometimes guys now are getting a month or so, you know, they're, they're hot for a month and they go away and you totally forget that they existed. And there's another one that comes out, but there's guys that choose to be skillful, throw that in sometimes and they last longer, you know? So it's just, it's a preference thing at the end of the day for the respective artists. No, I get it, the enemy. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm so sorry that you lost your dad at, at an early age, but uh, oh, you you, you have your mom from Trinidad, yeah. and and they have a style of music on their own out in the islands. Absolutely. You know, I'm yeah. thinking of uh of reggae. Reggae, it, you know, to me, it's kind of like the American blues, where you could turn any song into a no uh, bluegrass. You could turn mm-hmm. any song into a bluegrass song. You could turn mm-hmm. any popular song into a reggae song, and like yes. I, I have heard that done but what kind of music was was your mother playing for you and what other styles of music are are really resonating with you beyond rap that you're taking mm-hmm. uh different um inspiration from rap what are you listening to and what did your mom turn you on to so my i think the term i so reggae i do believe reggae is more uh jamaican yeah. descent, right i think yeah. yeah i think but in trinidad they have something it's called soca right so soca, soca is uh yeah, I believe that's the, the right term. And so earlier on, even like when my dad was alive, I remember him playing Al Green. Like, because I, I remember hearing the song, the Al Green song, If Love and You Was Wrong. I heard that way later. And I'm like, I remember this from somewhere. And I remember, I think my dad would play that. My dad liked, um, oh my God, it was uh, Marvin Gaye, different things like that. So I think that was always around the household. Um, I think my dad was more into music than my mom was. My mom would hear things, and but I don't think my mom was listening in terms of buying records and stuff like my dad bought records. Like my dad had a record player. He bought records. He played records. He, um, he was actually a mechanic, but he would have parties at times and he was playing records and things like that. I think my mom was just, you know, listening and absorbing or whatnot. And she would like certain things, but I think my dad was really into buying music and listening to music and whatnot. And then, uh, as I grew up, I, li- I never, I never, uh, I, w- I never like subjected myself to just rap. I liked everything. I listen to pop. I listen to rock. It, as long as it's good to me and I, I vibe with it, I'm listening to it. You know, like I think, um, that, that helped me understand various styles and helped me try other things. I think if, if I just heard hip hop and just stuck to hip hop, I don't, I think my music would be bland. You know, I think I wouldn't have a good understanding of other things or whatnot. So I, I try to, like, I tell anybody that too, just listen to as much things as possible. You know, like I listen to anything. It doesn't matter. Like I don't have a preference in terms of what I will not listen. I, I'll listen to anything like for me personally. Well, the enemy, how, how old are you? 34. 34. 35 on Christmas. Oh, happy birthday and Christmas. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> okay. So growing up in the nineties, well, nineties, yeah, early two thousands, maybe. What yeah, year did you graduate yeah. high school? I actually didn't. I withdrew early. Okay. I wanted to, like, yeah, for me, I was, like I said, right? I knew what I wanted to do. It was like, I'm doing this music stuff. I went to pursue my stuff early. Like, yes. I was just like, I know what I want to do. And I'm, that's kind of how I am when I have something in my head, I go for it. Like, I just, I wasn't thinking twice about that. Oh, school of life, man. And it sounds like yeah. you, you've got an education. And, and what, what were those DVDs and, and those YouTube videos that you were uh, kind of watching and perusing, getting the knowledge from? Uh, this way, my listeners have an idea of how to follow in the footsteps of the enemy. So I listened to uh, or I watched uh, DVDs. There was one, again, the freestyle one that was I think you can find that on YouTube. I, I watched it the other day, actually. So there's that there's one called The Art of MC, Why We Do It. That was part one and the or part one might have been how we do it. And then 
why we do it was the second one, one of the two or whatnot. But basically the first one was just kind of going through the culture of hip hop. And the second one was kind of more about the craft, right? Like from everything, it was about the business, the writing, the freestyling, the recording and different things like that. I watched a lot of documentaries on the business too, by the way, like, like uh, one documentary, it's my favorite one. Welcome to death row. That's about uh, the death row record label. Like, so Tupac, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, and that, is an amazing documentary. I like recommend anybody who's just a fan of uh, again music, but hip hop as well, so you can understand it. Just how much like even Easy was. Uh, he, they did a little bit of talk about him in that documentary, and he was very instrumental in pushing things forward. And then when it got to Death Row and like their animosity and all that stuff, it was just a good way to learn about the music business. So I like I read books on the music business as well, like because I always, for me, I find I have joy in being an independent artist because. I can do it my way, you know, like I can literally be my own boss. I can make my own decisions. Whereas when you're with the label, I think they try to change you in different things. And like, as an example, like me getting on this podcast, I did it by being me, you know, like that, like I, I really appreciate things like that, where I get to, you know, I ask different things by respected people, but I do it by being me. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to be anybody else or anything like that. And that's with these documentaries, I would see that sometimes people were forced into situations that they weren't happy with, you know, like they just, you learn that in the business side of it, you see certain things where they're doing things and they're, they're like, it's their dream. Like, you know, like it was their dream to do music and now they're doing music, but they're not happy and they're miserable. And then the, the music suffers, you know? So for me, I would just watch these various documentaries on hip hop and all that stuff, even stuff like uh, those VH1 documentaries on TV. You know, I, I, I believe I watched the Tony Braxton one, the, uh, Britney Spears one, Backstreet Boys. I would watch all that stuff because I could learn and take something from each and every one of them. Yeah, I was actually going to steer the conversation that way. Uh, what other records are you buying? Uh, you know, were you buying Backstreet Boys or, or were you absolutely? Or, 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 or you know what? Uh, and you know what did you get from from those different records that that gave you you know insight? Well, mm-hmm. I, I get I you know what did you get from from listening to to pop that helped mm-hmm. you in the rap world or or did it i think uh i i think to be honest with you uh the quality it showed me and let me understand quality to a certain point because as rap evolved the quality actually got better not that anything was wrong with the quality before things were sampled and everything but if you listen now there's a lot of the records are really polished right so i think as rap became more commercial i believe that there was again the the records the quality of it just sounded more clean right so i would notice this in these records i would listen and be like wow these records are like well done really clean whereas you can listen to hip-hop records and you can hear certain verses or wherever where maybe the rapper fumbles a word but i guess that's the authenticity of it right like that's just rap has more of a raw feel you know Mm -hmm. but uh i would hear it on these records where it was very clean almost too perfect to be honest with you like 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 it's great that there was good quality but i think it was so perfectly done timed out everything was there's no off note everything was fixed and sometimes that takes the life out of the music so i i I knew where the line was to not cross you know i knew not to make things too perfect but still make it quality like just that that was a big thing for me to make things quality because again when people listen to things you kind of only have 10 seconds maybe shorter now five seconds now in this era to get their attention you know there's a we have people have a lower attention span when listening to music, watching movies or whatever the case may be. So you got to really get them and grasp them the right way. So 
one thing is these pop records, they were done by like 15, 20 people. You know, there, there's 15 or 20 people putting this stuff together and getting all that stuff. So I took that. That's why when I sought out to get a producer and I ran into John, it was great that he focused on quality. He's very meticulous about the quality and just making things sound right. You know, once you have something like that, it doesn't matter if you're a rapper or a singer or whatnot, you can well on a record when the record just sounds good and you add your flavor to it. It's all great. But when you have, cause people hear the beat in the music first, you know, like nobody's, no one's necessarily hearing an acapella and being like, okay, I want to hear what this is about. Right. They hear the beat, the beat starts making their head nod and they're like, Oh, what's this? And then when you come on with the right chorus or the right verses or whatnot, it's just, it goes together. Right. So that was one thing that pop music definitely taught me just the quality of it. Oh, definitely. The cleanliness. The, that's the difference between analog of the past and the digital of the now is you can take those different instruments and put them on separate tracks, each individual mm-hmm. instrument, put it on a separate track, put it in your in your uh, Pro Tools or your Adobe Audition and have it lined up perfectly. It's not like Absolutely. there's an actual drummer back there going, do, do, you know, that, yeah. that's making a flub that that might hit his snare when he should have hit his hi-hat you know it's something it it just stays so clean four and four four and four and yeah that might take the life out of it It, you know somebody listening to to music now and listening to music in the past but that's what that's what you're growing up with it you have to change you have to evolve and you're you're right about the pop as it grows as well as well as the rap it Mm -hmm. uh, it starts to get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and there's and does it really, does it take the life out of it? Do you feel that? Cause I, you know, I, I have felt that in the past myself where it's like, wow, this, all right, that, that was just well-produced, yeah. overproduced well, really. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example. I have, I put out a song, um, uh, it was a couple weeks ago called on the way, right. John produced it and whatnot. And I, I hear things that obviously nobody else hears. And even if they did, they wouldn't care. Right. But I hear little clicks and maybe pops or whatever. So I remember like trying to edit this stuff and I didn't feel like it was taking the life out of it, but I felt like maybe I'm overworking. You know what I mean? Like I was sitting back and I remember my engineer, uh, JD finer. He's like, he's, he puts everything together, right? Cause John produces it. And then when JD like mixes it, it just, it's amazing. Right. So I've been working with JD for 11 years now. And I remember he'll talk to me about this. He'll be like, dude, like he's like, you got to keep in mind that none of this stuff is going to affect the record. He's like, if you have a little cl- click or a mouth click or whatever, he's like, that's not hurting the record. He's like, don't lose sight of making a good song because of like these little things that are meticulous and then you're overworking it, you know? And I think sometimes like I have to step back and say, you know what? I get it. I understand it. And then like, even though it irritates me, some things I can't like let go. Cause I, I, I listen to my music a lot more, than like the average person, I think I still will bump my own stuff when I'm going for a run or something or I'm working out or whatever. I'll listen to my own stuff and I'm just, I'm always studying it and I do enjoy it because I can listen to it with the average year, but I really like to listen to it a lot. So if I hear something I'm not happy with, I got to fix it for me because it's like my art, right? Like I'm fixing it for me. I got to like it first. So that's like always a principle I go with. But I do believe that what of it is if when you're recording, you're trying to get that one line, you keep doing it and then you cut it here and do all this stuff. After a while, you're just listening. You're like, man, I, I lost the feeling of it, you know? And that's the thing about rap. You've got to have the feeling because it's, it's coming at you so fast. Anyway, it's more spoken. You got to have that feeling. People like if they're not seeing who you are, someone might hear my song and not know who I am, never saw me before. So they got to get a feel from that delivery. Right. So I, I, I pay attention to that a lot. 
Man, DNMA, it sounds like you're a perfectionist. You're, you're your own worst critic. You'll keep yeah, listening yeah. and listening. Oh, I should have done that. But you yeah. remember, yeah. if you listen to the different music, you'll you'll hear breaths. You'll hear somebody go, yes. <gasps> you know, and, yeah. and, and give a and give another line. Or you'll hear a guitar string as somebody puts their fingers across the string. And wow, that's part of the song. Like I Absolutely. remember that, you know, Queen's my favorite group of all time. And I remember nice. that Brian May, when he was doing that one guitar riff, you hear, Weep! you know, just a, yeah. a, you can hear his hand going across the string. But I, yeah. I wait for that. I wait for that piece that yeah. those little uh, pieces that are not perfect. And yeah, yes. that that is the life in, in your song, in your art, in your creativity. Yeah. But it, yeah, I think I heard it one time. Uh, art is not finished it's abandoned so it's yeah, like oh yeah. yeah you know when is your song finished when do you I'm, know i'm gonna take that quote by the way i'm gonna write that down <laughs> i like that but um for me when when i know a record's done i get a feeling in my gut that i'm like hey this is it like this is good like i i, I start because i can listen to something and then when i'm listening to it and i'm like oh this is good like i'm liking what i'm doing like i'm listening to it as if it's not me right and i get that feeling and i'm like this is it like I, I'm, I'm rocking with it and i'm like okay this we're ready to go right um it, it it's not hard to get there to be honest with you like i don't i've done this long enough to where i'm i kind of know what i'm looking for you know like i, I every record is different obviously but i know when i get to that area where i'm like this is good this this is right i'm ready to go with it right i i, I have a a lot of colleagues I do music with and I find them trying to figure out when it's done. And I try to walk them through that too. I tell them, I'm like, look, you got to get to that point where you know, within yourself, you know, you may not be there yet because of experience or whatnot. But for me, since I've been doing it enough, I know what I'm happy with, you know, like, and that's the thing. Like I, although I'm a perfectionist, I'm not the type of perfectionist that will work on it, work on it, work on it, and then scrap it. You know, I know what I'm looking for and it's there. And I, if I have to come back, and attack it again, or if I have to tw twiddle with it or tweak it or whatnot, I, I know where I'm, what I'm looking for, you know? So I, I never get to the point of where it's just overworking it. And then I get discouraged and then just throw out the song, right? Like I know what I'm working towards and I, I, I visualize it in my head. So I usually know when it's going to be done and what I'm looking for. So I can get there. You know what I love the enemy that, that you're mm -hmm. almost embarrassed that you're a fan of your own work. If you don't like what you do, man, why would you do what you do? Yeah, I, yeah. I am glad that you're a fan of your work, man. Oh yeah, I would definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I, I just um, cause you know what it is for me. I'm, I like I watch a lot of uh, MMA. You know, I, I grew up in like the Tyson era, so like you see certain things like that. But with MMA, I was I'm really invested in MMA. I was when I was watching Tyson, so I, I didn't see the trash talking in the press conferences. But when I watch a uh, UFC or whatnot, you see a lot of these guys that. Are, they're literally fans of themselves. They believe they're better and all that stuff. And even if it's professional or whatnot, or it's like it might seem not professional to some people, I just think that believing yourself is a big thing. That's something I always try to push for like listeners, anybody that listens to me, because I feel like in anything you do, if you don't have that like hardcore belief in yourself that you're the greatest at it or whatnot, I feel like you're always going to have like a missing point, you know, like it's always going to be like that. And you're going to, you may not know why things aren't working out for you, but it's because you don't have that belief. You don't see yourself in that light, you know? So I think that's a big thing. Like even one thing I do a lot in my songs is whether it's in a line or in the intro or outro, I always try to put like an affirmation in there. So when I'm listening back, that's always like repeating to me. I, I hear that line, like, you know, I'm the greatest at this or whatever. And like, I hear that play back to me. I even listen to affirmations a lot just to keep my mentality always strong and confident. You know, it's a big thing to me. Well, I came into MMA later, but I grew up 
watching boxing and one of the yeah. guys was Muhammad Ali, man. Yes, And him absolutely. going together with uh, Howard Cosell, their conversations mm-hmm. that they had, they were, and you could tell they were the best of friends, man. Even though they, yeah. they kind of ribbed on each other a little bit, mm-hmm. but you yeah. would hear, oh, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest yeah. of all time. So you know yeah. he had confidence. And I love that. And DNME, uh, you know, looking down your social media feed, what is DNME greatest rapper in the world? For me, that's uh, I'm always going to feel like I'm the greatest. Right. And that's not being disrespectful to anyone past or present or anything like that. But that's just what I learned from the rappers before me. I remember uh, listening to this interview with Tupac and it like. It floored me when I heard it. I must have heard it at 16 or something. And I remember he was talking and he was saying, you know, uh, he's, he, I guess he was, it was during after the first shooting in 94. And he was obviously, you know, really pissed off and different things like that. And he was just airing out his feelings. And he said, he was, he was talking about various rappers. And he's like, you know, I could destroy them and this and that. And I, I never understood that till later. I was like, I get it. It was just his confidence. Like KRS-One felt the same way. Like he, um, when he had his come up, and he thought MC Shan was like garbage in his words. He's like, this guy's garbage. I'm the, I'm the better rapper. Why are you promoting him? Right. So rap has always been a competitive thing. And I think I've seen rappers who didn't believe in themselves. And I always would be confused as to why, you know, because I think people have this thing where they think if I believe myself and I say it out loud, I'm being cocky or I'm being arrogant and I shouldn't do that. But it's like, if you don't believe in yourself, like think about any rapper coming up that no one knows if they don't think that they're the best, what other person is going to put them on a list, a greatest list or tell them they're the best. You have to say it first yourself. You know, I think rappers, a lot of rappers do believe they're the greatest, but I think there are some that don't. And for me, I don't, like you said, why would you do something if you didn't feel like you were the greatest at it? You know, like I see a lot of that in various things, you know, I see people where maybe it's a self-esteem issue. I didn't always feel like that in the beginning stages, but as I grew, again, I even went back and looked at Muhammad Ali stuff and I was like, he, he just, he kept saying that he got it from, I think, uh, I think it was Gorgeous George was his inspiration, right? And he said he would see Gorgeous George, I'm the greatest, I'm the most beautiful. And he's like, I'm taking that, you know, and he started using that and he was, he thought, they thought he was going to lose against Sonny Liston, you know, nobody thought he was going to beat Sonny Liston and he went in there and he did that because he believed in himself, you know? So I think that's an important thing to always believe in yourself, no matter what. Says. Oh, he floated like a butterfly. It stung like a bee, man. Absolutely. No, Absolutely. It, and and I, I like the confidence. I like it. You know, like I said in the beginning, the first rap that I heard was I'm the best from the East to the West. So you got to yeah. have that confidence that, and that, mm-hmm. that feeling that, that you have in yourself. And I, yeah, braggadocious, maybe, uh, you know, yeah. possibly, but yeah, you, you, you got to feel that you're doing the right thing. And, and especially Absolutely. if it's getting response, you said that first birthday party, you got people responding to you and you got the feeling, you got the bug. It bit you, yeah. man. As soon as somebody Absolutely. starts responding to your raps and go, yeah, you did a good job. You just want to keep yeah. doing it, man. Like yeah. I have a crowd in front of me and I'm playing a certain kind of music and the people are out there just having a good time, dancing, loving it. Oh my, <laughs> it's the best feeling in the world, man. Absolutely. So when did you start that? I mean, have you, I'm guessing that you've been in front of crowds. When did you start performing live and, and doing that? And, and and what was your, your first gigs like? And, and how, how many times were you gigging that? Tell me, tell me about the, the good gigs in your lifetime. Uh, So yeah, I can tell you about, yeah. So basically I started, I remember starting early. The funny thing about me is I jumped into that stuff really early, probably before I should have. 
you know, like I really just went, so I, I had a lot of flubs on stage before and I, I, I used to get so pissed. And I remember as I developed and again, the memorization thing, this is where that comes into play. I learned that you really have to rehearse your stuff, you know, like it's just, it's common knowledge. You have to rehearse it because you want a natural feel. You don't want it to sound like robotic or nothing, but you gotta, you have to know what your, your lyrics and stuff. So once I started taking the time to rehearse and saying, look, I'm going to go over this, practice my set, I would get, I got better responses, you know, um, one of my high points in my career was I remember doing a show in Philadelphia. It was the first time I ever performed in the States. It was a small place, uh, the Voltage Lounge, right? And it was a smaller crowd or whatnot. And I remember there was a lot of artists that night. It was probably 15 to 20 artists with like three to five minute sets. And I went on maybe at one in the morning, right? It was me and a friend of mine. And I remember that uh, we went on and I was, I felt good about it or whatnot. I was pacing backstage. I was really like just in my head affirmations. I was like, you're going to kill this, this and that, just psyching myself up. And I went on stage, did well. I remember one thing I like to do is when I'm on stage, if I see people in the front, I like to really point them out and be like, yo, shout out to the dude in the front. He's got the energy or whatnot. And that would make people feel like they're part of the show. You know, they, they, they feel like you reached out to them or whatnot. So that was a high point because in the States, but the response after was really good. Like I remember coming off stage and uh, people were just like, you know, giving me dabs to shaking my hand. And they're like, Oh man, amazing. And I felt so good. Like you said earlier, there's no better feeling with any type of performance, you know, like whether you're on a radio show or something and you just do a quick rap or whatever the case may be, the, the feeling is good. I remember doing one in Toronto where um, it was at a festival and again, the feeling, there's no better feeling than when you give a good performance and you're in the zone. That's an important part too, right? Because there's a certain flow state that you get into, you know, where you're just like, this is it. You're, you're just on all, you're firing on all cylinders. You're, you're so focused or whatnot. And when you're done, you get a good ovation, but you know, to yourself, you did well, you know, you know, your practice paid off, you know, that you did everything, you let things flow. You didn't, get too in your head or whatnot and you just kept it natural but you did your thing and you and and the respect is for me is a big thing like just doing a performance and having anybody come up and be like man that was dope you're an amazing rapper oh my god that for me means more than anything you know if i if i made 10 million dollars today and i had a shitty performance i would just i wouldn't it wouldn't even resonate that i made that money because i would have i'd be like man i, I fucked up you know what i mean i didn't do a good performance or whatnot so for me it's a real important thing just um again having a good performance and preparing for that but you know see being in that moment and capturing that moment is a big thing for me man you are spot on and and i'm glad you started early you know i mm. I, I liken it to like a stand-up comedian you know when they first start out they're probably not mm. great you know but you've been practicing in the mirror and you thought that the jokes might land but they didn't yeah. land and the same as a as a rap i guess you've been practicing in your room practicing mm. in the mirror getting your facial expressions right, getting that, that uh, rhythm proper. And then when you get out in the crowd, hey, maybe it lands, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, but I'm glad yeah. you started early, and that's why you're so good right now. Now, you mentioned KRS-One, man. He is the educated rapper. And I remember Absolutely. listening to him grow, uh, you know, growing up and, and, and some of his stuff. He, man, if I, if I heard him curse ever, I don't think I ever heard him curse on a rap. I think that was one of the, the things that he avoided doing. Do you think that that limits you or, or, or you feel like, uh, you know, just whatever words come and whatever words fit, 
That's the word mm-hmm. you put in there. What, what do you feel on, on that? I think it depends on the person. Um, for me, if I, I don't really curse in conversation with people, you know, like may, among some friends, if you like throw it out because, you know, you're just talking or whatnot or whatever. But um, I, for me, like your art is your art. So it has to come, like if it comes from an honest place, like if you're just doing it to do it for no reason, I mean, I don't really advise that. But I mean, if it comes from an honest place, like you may have a situation, like someone may, there, there could be someone, an artist out there who they're going through a divorce at the time or something, right? And it's really a hard divorce and it's just like, uh, it gets ugly, right? Like you may say things in a song, if you're writing a poem or a piece or music or whatever the case may be, you just, those words come out, you know, they're part of the English language. I think, um, I think there's a fine line. Like I have total respect for KRS-One. If he didn't, I don't think I ever heard him curse either. And I think it's amazing. And I think for him too, because uh, what he was trying to present was more education. He was trying to, you know, and give people that that knowledge i think it was important that he did i mean if he did i don't think it would hurt him but i think it was good that he kept with people that they grew up in a harsh environment you know like they they grew up like for me growing up when people like no cursing in my household like my mom never i don't think i've ever heard my mom curse at all right so for me growing up i didn't really do it but then when i go into school and my school was in a little bit of a rougher neighborhood or whatnot and I would go to that school and people are just using it like no problem. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything. So I would sit back and it confused me because when you go home, you know, you're not speaking like that, but you're hearing it every day. So it, it kind of becomes part of your conversation with people, you know, and then your friends, they use it. And then again, you're listening to hip hop, right? You're listening to certain people, they're throwing it out there. So you kind of do that. So for me, when I was writing it never, I'm not gonna lie to you, it never dawned on me that, Hey man, I'm cursing too much or you're, you're using these words it was more just here's what i'm saying i said it in line i'm doing this uh as i got older certain things you gotta just because i think we're in more sensitive society now so certain things i'll still say something but then if it's really messed up i'll just censor it and blank it out you know just for for that or whatever out of respect for any situation that if i may have offended somebody i might just do that just because i know the error we're in or whatnot but Again, language is language. And like we see these things in movies, you know, you can hear things in movies. There's crazy language in movies and they become phenomenal pieces of art to people, you know. So I just feel like it depends on the situation. I can see where people have a gripe with music because I think sometimes with especially with hip hop, I think the influence it has on like the younger generation, they really run with it. Like nobody when you see the Wolf of Wall Street, for example, you know, a young kid is not necessarily that watches it. They're not going to go and like scam somebody out of money at 17 in that way, you know, like going and getting stocks. They're not even old enough to buy stocks or whatnot at that point. But with music, I think it's just a little bit more influ- influential. And that's why people gravitate towards that and have gripes with that when people are cursing. So it just depends uh, the type of artist. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I remember before 1980, I mean, before 1990. The rap mm-hmm. that that I grew up with, you know, I'm class of '86, so you know, mm-hmm. I, yes. I, you know, that's when I graduated. But you know, and and I was playing the music, and I remember none of the raps, none of the raps that I listened to had a lot of had. If they had one curse word, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. But '90, it seems like that's when it turned turned around. You know, with Two Live Crew and with yeah, uh, you know, oh, and NWA for yeah, sure. I Easy heard, E. I heard when they came out. That like they said things on songs that no one had said, which is so crazy to think of because, like, people say stuff like that now, and it's like, eh. but when they came out, I could imagine what from what you're saying when you heard 
the, the earlier stuff, it wasn't that. So when people were cursing on record for the first time, it must have been mind blowing to everybody listening. I grew up in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And when two live nice. crew came to Fort Lauderdale and the sheriff, uh, I remember his name, man. He's not the sheriff there anymore, but he said, okay. if uh, two live crew comes here and performs, he had cops all around that arena. Bah, 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 oh, wow. waiting, waiting yeah. for that first word to come out. And as soon as it came out, boom, down go, go the lights. Yeah, Shut it yeah. down. Believe That's me, amazing. that crowd was going crazy because yeah. they paid their money to see two live crew and he saying, hey, we want some, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're talking to, I'm not a prude by any means. I, I, no, I, I used course, to curse yeah, when I was a kid and I guess that, you know, when I was a firefighter way back when, but as soon as I got on the radio, I stopped. I, I just stopped. Okay, I okay. haven't had the need for it. And and, okay. and I, I don't think I've cursed in a while, but does it limit me? Now, my brother curses like a sailor because he was a sailor, <laughs> you nice, know, nice. And, and he raises his kids to where they'll hear that in the house. But my okay, kid okay. Won't, has never hear, heard it. I don't know. Is mm. it better? Is it, is it worse? Is it different? It's uh. It's just words. I mean, the words yeah, got power, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. since you're you're a person that works with words, they're they're words that that can be used, right? And yeah, and yeah, you were saying yeah. if if you have a a harsh uh, thing in your mind, you know, going through a mm-hmm. divorce, a, a death, a suicide, somebody yeah. close to you died, you're gonna have those feelings, and sometimes those absolutely. are the words you need to to express those those feelings. I mean, don't, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you? Is any of this resonating with you at all, Dianami? Well, see, the thing is, again, like I, I think I would never limit somebody like this. If somebody, if I was in a studio session and I heard somebody say the craziest shit, it wouldn't offend me because I always try to respect people's perspectives first. You know, so like you just don't know the background somebody comes from. Somebody, some people come from really messed up upbringings. You know, like they come from like they're they're you know, they got beat like really brutally as a kid, but then their parents are saying this, they're talking like that to each other. So I get it. You may come from something, right? So I'm not upset towards it in any way, shape or form. I mean, when I have kids, I wouldn't be cursing around them, but I would explain it to them. You know, I would explain to them, like, when you hear these words, this is what, why, this is a possibility of why this may come out of this person's mouth. It, they might be from this background, you know, there's various things This. um, when you grow up and you use these, you just have to understand when and where, right? Like, again, amongst your friends, you know, you're kicking back or whatnot. Things come out. Like, my friends, if, if they say something, I'm not like, what are you doing? Or whatnot. We're just talking like that. It's all good. But around maybe in a public setting, you know, with some people you're not familiar with and you're going to, like, well, maybe a, a birthday party with more people that you're not familiar with, right? You're not going to really throw those words out or whatnot just because out of respect for me, it's more uh, out of respect thing. Um, even when it comes to my music, I, uh, when people ask me, they say, you know, are, do you, I, they don't actually know. They don't ask me, but I give them the, like the pref, I give them the warning, the pre-warning. I'm like, Hey man, it's a little vulgar just to let you know. Right. Just cause out of respect, I'm like, look, may not be your, like, it may not be the music you listen to on a regular basis, but if you want to support me, here's a heads up, you know, this is what I'm about. This is it or whatnot. But I don't think what I'm saying is anything that is so crazy that you haven't heard before, you know, like, again, we use these words, you hear them in movies. It's just what it is. I mean, in everyday conversation, I'm not going to be throwing those words around every day, but they come out here and there or whatnot, you know? So it just, again, I think it depends on 
the situation, the person, and the upbringing. You know, yeah, something I've never said on the podcast before. Is that a code switch? You know, when you uh, when you're talking with your boys, that's one thing. But then when you mm-hmm. go home, you talk with your mom, that's a whole other thing. Is, is that a code switch? Is that you're talking a little more proper, I guess, or uh, is that is that what a code switch is? I think you know what it is. I think it's more just a comfortable thing, right? I think some people, when they the 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 relationship you have with others, I think if you have a certain relationship with your mom or your dad, right? You may have grown up. I have friends that grew up where I've spoken to their parents, and they're like, you know, in our house, we don't do that. We would tell our kids, so they would tell my friends, if you do it outside with your friends, cool. The minute you step into here, don't do that, you know. So. I think it's just more when you're amongst certain friends that maybe you grew up with and you guys are so comfortable, you're throwing things out, whatever the case may be. But when you come home, I think it's just how you were brought up. Now, on the flip side, if your parents used it, you're going to use it around them. You're not going to feel that line, you know, but some parents enforce that line. They say, look, in our household, absolutely not. You know, it's like it's, it just depends. Oh, I rebelled against my mom. She cursed like a sailor too. <laughs> no, but uh, and and you had that. So growing up, man, and you said you weren't going to raise your kids the same way, but mm-hmm. you heard it on the streets. Were you mm-hmm. able to to go home and you say, "Mom, I, I heard this this crazy word. What does it mean?" Were you able to uh, to ask your mom? No, I I don't think. Uh, I think me and my mom start talking about that stuff later because I even know. I, I start to realize as I got older, I start to realize that my mom, her upbringing was very, um, like they, they say similar thing where they didn't use those words right in their household. So I start to realize that she, I think was like kept away from a lot of that stuff. Like her parents like deliberately kept her away from that. So if she were to even hear it, even if she hears it so much in like a show or something, she may be taken back by it. Right. So I don't think, I think I knew that people use these words and I heard it so much. And I started to like at an early age, realize, you know what, these words are used. I know why I'm not using it at home per se. I don't really need a definition of why people, it it never confused me or anything like that. I did think that some people were like way overboard. Like every sentence was, you know, I I think that goes back to your point. If every sentence is that it kind of turns people off in terms of conversation, you know, again, there are people that do it that people don't care. I'm not going to say that it turns me off personally, but there are some people, there's pockets of people that they don't want to hear that every second they get turned off and they want to go the other way. Right. So it just, it really depends. But for me personally, I never felt that I needed any kind of uh, again, definition of it. I, I knew what it was again, listening to hip hop early too. Like I remember when I actually was listening earlier on, like Eminem was one of them. He cursed a lot. Right. And I remember my mom, not knowing this goes to show you she's like wasn't aware of this stuff i asked her to buy me the cd she got me the cd and she heard it and she's like what what's that like what what are you listening to you know she was taken back by that she's like what's going on here or whatnot but for me again i was like mom it's just music like it's just it's rap music you know like i understood it then because when i was introduced to it people were throwing those words around anyway you know so i figured okay they're just saying it in songs i mean you would hear it slip out in interviews and stuff but again was art you know like a lot of this stuff was how they expressed themselves people coming from bad areas or whatever the case may be they hear it so much that they throw it in their songs but then as they navigate through the industry i mean they're not going to be saying that to executives and stuff like that they're not going to be saying that to if they're talking to fans and having a heartfelt conversation you know so i guess it's just where you place it yeah it's as long as there's substance it's thrown in between 
whatever words you're using. You, there's substance. There's there's a message. There's a a, a lyrics that uh, you know a, a lyrical um, uh, story that you're trying to yeah. tell. You're you're the folk singers of of today. You know because folk mm. singers used to tell a story in their song, but a great yes. rapper can tell a story about you know hey this this thing happened to me and I'm gonna mm. lay it down bar by bar man and just yeah just really get that story out there i mean i like i said i'm no prude man all my favorite movies are rated r action movies man <laughs> lethal weapon uh die oh, hard yippee kaye you know definitely you know what that means yeah if somebody yeah. says yippee kaye you're already thinking the next word in your head yeah you know yeah. so yeah i mean i, I, I i'm man i just I, and oh what do you think of the the warning label but that that somebody decided to stick on an album be just because it has certain words. I mean, I, I liken it to the cancer label on the side of a mm. cigarette pack. Is it going to stop mm. you from buying that record? Is it going to stop you from buying those cigarettes if you need them? You know what? What, mm. what do you think of those warning labels? I think to be honest with you, I um, again growing up, I was listening to explicit songs, even though there were versions that were clean. Right? I, I never asked my mom, "Hey, by the way, get the clean version." I was like, "Okay, can you give me the CD?" And like my mom just went and grabbed it, and her going to grab a CD for me, they're thinking maybe she's a fan of this music. So no one's asking any of those questions. And even um, for me, when I see those warning labels, I think it's good because it lets the person know what they're getting, right? At that point, if you're a parent and you go with your kid and your kid asks for that CD, as the parent, you have to know whether you want to buy that CD, one, and two, if you're going to explain why that's that the warning label is there and what this language means. Now, if you buy the CD and you just give your kid and there's no explanation, your kid starts saying that and you have a problem with it, there was a misstep, in my opinion. You know, like, again, I'm not telling anyone how to parent, but I feel like there was a misstep because even though a parental advisory sticker is there, a kid that's 15, 16, they may know the gist of it. Oh, this cursing. Okay. But they don't, they don't know the deeper reasoning as to, you know, this is art. Some people have a harsh situation that they're coming from, that they're expressing themselves and the, they, they put it on there to let you know. So, cause if, if a young kid goes and gets a CD and there's no label and here's all this, I mean, I could see the backlash, you know, that could come from that because it's like, Hey man, like you do it on movies, they do it on video games. You know, they, they put that label that there's nudity or there's cursing or whatever the case may be. So I think, I think it's, it's necessary to let you know what you're getting into. You know, I think that's fair enough. I don't think that it, apart from that, I don't think that rappers have to apologize for the lyrics and different things. I mean, if you're saying something that's totally crazy or whatnot, I do understand why apologies are issued, but in terms of just cursing, I don't feel like a rapper needs to, or any musician for that matter, needs to apologize for that, right? That warning label's on there. You know that it's 18 and over. At that point, the parent has to make a decision if they want to buy that. And if they want to buy it, they should be mindful enough to explain to their kids, you know, like, hey, this is what this CD entails and this is what's going on here. You know what's funny is I at, at this club that I go to that I, I DJ at on Friday nights, uh, The Rab in Conway, Arkansas. And I grew up in Miami, by the way, in South Florida. So, so I'm I'm kind of a fish out of water when I moved here as well. But uh, you know, different places. But I, I go there, and and a lot of the people are forty and above, and you know, they want to listen to some country music or some rock music or maybe some '80s pop music or something like that. And and every once in a while, there'll be a, a group of young people because it is a college town, Conway, Arkansas, and there'll be yes. some twenty somethings that come in. So I'll switch the music up. Usually it's around 11 o'clock, maybe closer to midnight. 
when they come in and I'll say, uh, I say, uh, Hey, to all the, the 40 somethings that are still here, this is what your kids are listening to in their nice. headphones that, uh, nice. you may not, you may or may not know what they're listening to. And bam, here comes, you know, I'll, I'll play some of the, the new jams, uh, some of the mm-hmm. new stuff, uh, and, you know, from, from the 2010s and beyond, you know, nice. uh, but, uh, you know, that, and, and they'll go, and, and they got great beats. And, and but the, some of the the lyrics, the people will be yeah. off put by this. Who is this playing? Oh, that's yeah. uh, you know, the, oh, that's Pharrell, and that's uh, you know, that's uh, Future, and that's uh, you know, those are you know, whoever's I'm playing, and they'll go, who is that man? Because that that is a solid beat, but and he's got you know good lyrics. And hey, who knows? Maybe I'll uh, I'll play a D Enemy coming up real soon in the next nice. show, and they'll go, who is that? I love breaking yeah. out new artists, man. That's oh, that's one thing that is thing. when when I have uh, all these artists that come in on this podcast, a lot of them will send me music and I'll put it on RadioWhat.com sitting here behind yes. me. And uh, I noticed that you have a, a song, uh, DNME on the way. That's yeah. the latest track. I mean, what? L- let's go into your music. I know I'm kind of rambling <clears throat> a little bit. No, it's all good. No, I, 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 I kind of think about. Uh, you know the music that I'm playing for people, and mm-hmm. and but what what is the music that you've been playing? When did when did you start laying stuff down? And were you were you recording it in your bedroom at first, or or when did you start uh, putting your tracks onto uh, a medium that can be recorded and listened to? And, and you know were you doing? Did any? Do you do vinyl? No, did, tapes, mixtapes, no, no. uh, CDs. I, so first, the first actually funny enough, the, so the first CD or song I recorded. Uh, I want to say 2002, um, first time I ever went to a studio and I actually got it. I don't have the tape anymore, unfortunately, but uh. I actually, yeah, I actually had it recorded to CD, but I had the guy make me a tape version just because I came from that. Like I was I, CDs songs in the beginning stages of music. I think I was getting tapes because tapes were still a thing. I believe in the night, definitely in the nineties. You know? Yeah. So you, I would still have tapes. So I just kind of was like, Oh man, my first song. I want to have this on tape and um, then CDs or whatnot. So the funny thing is, interestingly enough, I feel like I went through a lot of the eras in terms of the format. So I didn't go through vinyl. I, I never had something put to vinyl, but definitely one thing on tape, CDs for a couple, couple of years. And then I started to segue. I've always been good on the internet. So I started to segue onto those platforms and it was a smooth uh, transition onto those platforms that you can get your music on. And I find that now, again, I, I recorded, I started in the studio and then I start, had my own studio built, you know, I had a bedroom and then I had one in a small building or whatnot. So I, I record that way. But then in terms of distributing or whatnot, I obviously everything's online now. I don't know. I've done CDs. I want to say now the last time I, I mean, I'd say in 2007, 2008. That was the last time I had something of mine produced on CD, but um, I had gotten on mixtapes and those were on CDs. I think the last one would have been 2011, you know, because I would just get a song on a mixtape, a DJ would put out his CDs or whatnot. And then that's what it was. But in terms of that, like, I don't, I do think like, I think your core fans, there were, there would be core fans that would still get an artist CD, you know, if they, if they put out like a limited amount I do think they'll go to get it, but I don't think that'll work for every artist because a lot of artists came up in the digital era and that was the first time you heard them. So like their fans don't even understand CDs, you know, let alone like tape or vinyl, you know? So like 
somebody like, like Rakim could put out a vinyl right now. And I believe there are fans that would go get it. They're like, oh man, I'm getting that. I grew up on him. I believe Redman could put out vinyl. You know, I don't think someone like Lil Uzi Vert can do vinyl, you know, but again, maybe he can. I just don't think his fans grew up on that. So they wouldn't do that. You know, for me, I, I like, I liked CDs because it was a physical thing that somebody can hold. I, I enjoyed the process of making a CD, like for people that don't know, you know, you, it's more than just putting it, like stamping it. You get your cover done, you know, it, you have a chance to be artistic on the cover, the back cover. Whereas now it's just, you know, you put that one cover on there, you upload it and then that's your stuff, you know? So I like, I like that. I like the digital thing though, because you can get out to people and people can kind of like pick what they want, so to speak, you know? And it's, I think it's easier on artists in the sense of, you don't have to go and make a full album right away. You can kind of hit them with singles for a little bit, which is what I do. You know, I, I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it now because everything is just so all over the place, you know? Well, yeah, it's easy enough for an independent artist to, to put their music out. And you're, you know, I gave up my techniques back in 99 and I think sure. I have two records and one of them belongs to Billy Crayoni. I have it up there okay. on the wall behind me. And then I have a couple of CDs uh, there's Polly, uh, Polly Lane and Brie Ogden. Nice. And, and, you know, do I play them on my CD player? No, I rip them, put them on my hard drive. Yeah. I gave up my techniques, my uh, turntables back in 99. And I, when okay. I'm DJing, I'll DJ off the computer and I'll use some Pioneer controllers, which emulate, uh, you know, I could do the mixing and scratching. Uh, you know, using the controllers. So it's like, and, and but I'm slowly filling up my wall, trying to trying to put some of the artists up here that I've been uh, yes. having on the podcast and such, and and making sure that I promote them from time to time. There's Red that's Iris amazing. back there, and you know it, it. It's it's how you keep it going, man. And that's what we yeah, need to be yeah. doing is helping each other. Let, let's. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you've been putting out music on your own. Have you ever been approached by a record label and they'll say, "Hey, I can move a million units." And you get a hundred thousand dollars worth of it, and or you can move your own hundred thousand units, mm-hmm. and you keep a hundred thousand dollars of it. So, I mean, the advantage and disadvantage to mm-hmm. you know of having a record label. It seems like they can move more units, but you're still going to get the same amount, more or less, yeah. as if you were doing it on your own. I, I think the record companies are running scared. Uh, have you ever had anybody or produ- uh, uh, come to you and say? Sign on the dotted line. I'll make you a star, enemy. I had a call. So the first time in Philadelphia, actually, when I did that show right after uh, the person who helped me, the promoter who helped me get on that bill, he said that someone was interested that uh, they were at A&R at Universal. It didn't, the conversation didn't go anywhere, though, because I just wasn't interested in anything like that. So I, I did tell him, I'm like, you know, I, I appreciate the offer. I just want to do it on my own. I, I'm not like interested in signing. Um I had a few people get at me online, even to this day, you know, and uh, for me, once I learned the business, I I, I really said to myself, I don't need that. Like, I, I don't need, I'm the guy that's cool with doing it smaller and keeping more of my finances and being in control, you know, because the thing is, I, I get the glamour of it, but you look at it and you say like, again, me being on your podcast I said to myself, I'm like, I didn't need a label to do that. You know, that was a, Hey, I respect your talent. I want to have you on here. Made the connection and we were doing the interview for me. That trumps what these labels will say. They'll say, Oh, well, I can get you on this show. Right. But again, I rather do it on my own. And you can do that now with the internet. Now, 20 years ago, not so much, right. I might've wanted to 
try to get a record deal. And I might've done something in terms of stylistically my music, I might've changed to fit that, that mold. So I can like impress them, you know, whereas the internet made it, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can have your own photos the way you want. You can build your brand. You don't have to get a face tattoo. If you don't want to, you can do whatever you want, you know? And that for me was important. Like the, the money of it again, like I've never, I never went and said, I need to make money. Let me start rapping. For me, it started from the passion and just looking and saying, wow, this is amazing. I can express myself. And there's so many aspects and intricacies to this hip hop culture that I, like, you know, it's just interesting to me and I love this shit. So like for me, I don't need a record label in that respect. Now, if a record label and me like approached me and say, for instance, was really interested in maybe I took a conversation I still, for me, it would be, I would want maybe a distribution deal, but even then you look at it and I have distribution because I'm getting my stuff out and I'm on all the online stores. So you have to say to yourself, the only thing they can offer you is more reach, but for that reach, what are they taking? You know, I'm not going to let anybody take my masters. I'm not going to sign over the rights to my music and everything. And at the moment I do everything on my own. I have it basically in-house. So it's like, I don't have that whole desire to say, oh, I want to be under your umbrella. I need your producers, you know, like, even though it's a longer span and it'll take you years, I'd rather have that and be happy and not miserable. You know, I can wake up in the morning and say, wow, I did this, you know, like even waking up today and just saying, okay, I have this podcast interview, even months ago, like when we booked it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I have this interview. This is crazy. I'm getting, I'm excited to do this next, you know, and then whatever the next song is or the next, when, when quarantine's done, I can travel again and different things. That's, that's interesting to me. And that stuff is fun to me rather than doing it under this like conglomerate that's going to tell you what to do. You know, like I just don't, for art, I don't feel like artists should be told what to do. No, the enemy, I, I, I completely agree with you. And it, and, and like I said, the record companies are running scared. It's nice that you can do it all on your own. I'm hoping that you're getting a good response from some of the records that you're you're putting out. And you know, I, the the one thing I I do miss about physical CDs or actually physical albums is the artwork. And I noticed that on your social media, DNME on the way, it's got you with your phone there. That's a that's a great image, you know. Just it gives people an idea of who you are and and I'm glad that you got the the um the the business side under your belt because I've talked to some artists that have have really been uh given the runaround uh by mm. by by record companies where the first year they'll have representation you know oh here i got five thousand dollars for you hypothetical you know i got five thousand dollars for you sign on the dotted line but they always say you're gonna pay that five thousand dollars back one way or the other exactly you're exactly. not you know you're not gonna make anything until they start making money and then it'll start trickling down to you. Yeah. And that's not the way it should be. You should be no, making the money not. first and trickling yeah. it down to them for helping you yeah. out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that, yeah, I'm guessing you have all your music, what, on Spotify and Apple? Yeah, iTunes, it's everywhere. I Spotify, Apple, Tidal, um, iTunes. I have it, again, uh, who I'm distributed with, uh, New, Wave, uh, New Wave Distro. They're a great company. They offer promotion as well when I uh, release records and whatnot. So right there, I mean, I have my level of promotion that I need and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere that it can be. If you type my name and you're going to see it. So all those factors is why I say to myself, like, what could a label really do for me? Like, I'm not, I don't need to, I, I, I don't need them, you know? So I look at it 
And I say, again, with, they're going to give you a loan, right? They're going to give you, because to be fair, like if I take myself out of the enemy for a second and I say, okay, ego aside, right? They're a business. They're going to, they say, we're going to invest this in you. Now I get it. A lot of artists may, again, come from a situation where they need that money desperately. So if they say, hey, here's a hundred grand, that artist is not thinking, I'm going to owe that back. They're just thinking, oh, I got an opportunity. I'm getting money for my talent. Then they may not even get a lawyer and they like they may not look at those type of things on their contract six seven months down the line the record's released they are doing well and then their first check it happened to tony braxton her check was like nineteen hundred dollars and she had the biggest single at the time for a female artist that's like ridiculous right but she didn't realize all those award shows the attire the video shoots all that stuff they put a lot of money into her so she had to get it back she didn't know that you know, and now with the internet, you have enough information to see that and say, okay, if I go with the label, here's what is coming to me. Here's what I have to, here's what I'm going to be dealing with. If I go independent, here's what I'm dealing with. So it's kind of like, you got to pick what the headache you want, so to speak right now. I don't look at it as a headache. I love the, I love all the aspects outside of the music as well. I like marketing it. I like learning about the business and all that stuff, right? That stuff is amazing to me. So I don't have the issue where I'm like, oh man, I need a label to take this over. Some artists though, to be fair, some artists just want to be creative. You know, they don't care about going and marketing. They don't want to do interviews. They don't want to do anything like that. They just want to be in the studio and make music. But that comes with a price, right? If you're in the studio, someone else is behind the scenes making this money and putting things around. And then when you go to look at your bank account or your check and it's low, you're wondering why that's where the, that friction happens, you know? So it's about just, again, educating yourself, understanding what the business is and all that type of stuff to just know, like, you know, if you want to do a label deal, cool, just go into it. Understanding, like you said, the money's going to trickle down and the artist always gets paid last. That's a fact, you know? So if you understand that and you want to deal with it and you're okay with that and you're like, well, I'm famous and that's what you want. It's all good, you know? But if you're patient and you're like, look, I'll just do this the long grassroots way and I'm okay with that and I'm happy in the end, then that's all that matters. Oh, yeah. The more people involved, you got to realize those people got to get paid and they're going to get paid first uh, no matter what, especially if they're if you've signed it on, on the dotted line. But DeAnimeOfficial.com uh, is your website. Who, who designed that website? Yeah. It's so cut and dry and so perfect, you know, well-made. Who, who designed that website? So I have a friend, actually, uh, it's a childhood friend of mine. We grew up together. He's a web designer, um, Julian Rotundo. I don't think he'll mind that I said his whole name because he has a, a web design business. He uh, has his own business doing web design and whatnot. Um, he's also an artist as well. So uh, he, when we reconnected a couple years ago, he was working on a project for his music and I was helping him out with the recording and everything. And he asked, he's like, hey, man, I can help you revamp your website right and i again i didn't know anything i had a website at that point but i didn't know the logistics of it and different things and he's like yeah you could probably do this and have this here and have everybody come here for this stuff and have your spotify link to it and all that so we worked on it and then it was a work in progress over the years and we always try to keep tabs on it to update it and different things like that but um yeah for me it was just me and him sitting down collaborating and saying hey look i want this i want it to represent this if you look at a lot of my visuals it'll represent me as a rapper. That's just what I want to push, right? So a lot of it, there's not going to be any like gimmicks and different things like that. It's just me and like the, the environment of rapping, you know, and that's something I've always wanted to push. So he took that and we put it together in different things. And then, you know, we were revamping and we're working on the merchandise. Like I'm doing a lot of the testing with it right now, just to see the navigation with the merchandise to make sure 
another thing too, when I start putting out the merchandise, I want to make sure when people get it, it's like good and nothing gets lost. And, you know, dealing with the whole COVID thing right now, I just didn't want to risk having anything out and then things being delayed and people are paying. Like I'm really, I'm really conscious and serious about that. When I have fans that want something like that and they pay their money, I don't want anyone to get stiffed or anything. Cause a lot of that happens on the internet too, in various um, instances. So I want to make sure that everything is tight before I start putting the merchandise for sure. But it shows up right now, but you can't purchase anything yet. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, I'm noticing the, the website. It's, it's perfect. It's simple and Thank easy you. to navigate. And it says what it needs to say. Your social media is right there in the upper right. It makes it so, e- so easy to find you. Deanna me. I, you know, I appreciate talking to you so much, man. You, I appreciate I, you. I'm having a good, good conversation. Any other avenues you want to explore? I mean, what's going on in the, in, in the future of Deanna I mean, I know this is not going to be the last time. I don't want this to be the last time that we talk. I want to catch up with you as time progresses. And I want this to be uh, the start of a beautiful business relationship. Absolutely. absolutely. I've enjoyed talking to you, man. I'm picking your brain and I'm, I'm getting knowledge. The KRS one, look out. Here's, here comes (laughs) the enemy, man, to the new educated rapper, the the greatest (laughs) rapper of all time. He's even got the t-shirt, man. (laughs) You could, you could see it on his website on, uh, on the about page. He's wearing it. The best rapper of all time. I love it, man. Definitely. I, I love that you have always that. Always about the confidence, man. Always about the confidence. I love it. Any other avenues you want to explore that, that, that you haven't talked about? Um, I, you know, to be honest with you, like I said, I'm, I'm always a hundred percent about my music. That's like, I'm one track mind with stuff, but in terms of future stuff, like I, I, I've, I've said this today, like to a couple people, like I want to definitely change the way, uh, certain things happen with contracts in the music business, you know, like I know that's a long time and that'll take a while for things like that to happen, but I really want to change that. And I want to like push the narrative of like artists really understanding one, what they're signing, but also understanding the overall industry and like the perception in different things. Because one thing I've noticed over the last couple of years, and it's kind of like been something that I've just realized was I think a lot of artists, when they see certain artists you know on tv or whatever the case may be or just having a bigger platform i think they assume that maybe the artist is better than them or the artist is good that's why they're there right and what they don't realize is a lot of strings being pulled behind the scenes this stuff i i always say the the music business like especially like the rap industry it is very similar to professional wrestling there's a lot of stuff that is controlled there's a lot of things the outcome is controlled. Like there's a lot of that. And I think it's very, a lot of artists can be like very heartbroken if they see that something's not going their way and they did the exact same thing as was told by a bigger artist, you know, and they don't realize that there's someone behind the scenes that is pushing certain things. You know, like when I, I couldn't, as an example, if I signed to a record label, if I signed to a label rapper who is just as renowned or they, they looked at as renowned and he, had the greatest rapper thing, they may not push that narrative in my story, you know, or they might not put that narrative for me because they're like, well, that's clashing with our artist that was making money for 20 years. And now you're a newer guy that we're investing in. We can't do that. So right away that takes away my stuff and they're going to put something else on it. When my vision is, look, I look at myself as the best. Why can't that be a thing? You know, rap is competitive, but again, you're in a controlled environment. And that's one of those reasons with the label they tell you what they want you to look like. They tell you what the narrative should be. They build the story. Whereas me, I can come on again, podcast like yourself and say, look, I'm about this. This is me. 
this is who I am, you know, and that's always been a thing. Even I did, um, it was last year I did an interview on, uh, it was a New York radio station. And I said the same thing. I said, you know, I feel like I'm the best. Right. And, uh, it was so surprising to me because the radio DJ, he's like, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of rappers and they, I, I don't feel like they are being genuine when they say that. And I was like, really? It was so surprising because New York is the birthplace of hip hop. Yeah. So when, so when I heard that, I was so shocked and I thought to myself, you're joking right now. And then he's like, no. And then when I, you know, he heard more about me and whatnot, he was like surprised that I was, I think coming from Toronto too has something to do with it. Cause they like, they don't look at, they don't see too many of that. So I look at it and I say, again, that whole narrative of what the perception is in the music business, it can make an artist feel like they're not good enough. And I've always pushed back towards that. So again, just trying to like educate artists. I don't know. I can't say that would be like an institute or something, but I know the more I'm on platforms, I always want to push that like confidence and just understanding again, the industry you're in and why certain things happen and why certain things don't. And I think if you do that, you'll be happy knowing like, okay, I'm doing it my way. It's all good. This didn't happen because of this. It's totally fine. I can accept that because I'm not in control of that, you know, like, but a lot of artists, like I think try to focus on what they can't control and it screws their head up to where they get like, you know, upset with the industry and they don't even want to do music no more when this was their dream initially. I'm appreciate, appreciating your eloquence, the enemy, man, you. You, you, you got uh, knowledge, you got skills. I, I, I was listening to your music a little earlier and it's, it's good, man. And, you. and uh, you know, why not uh, be confident enough be, to be the, to wear a shirt that says the greatest rapper of all time and have your name underneath. And, and and DNME, I think you you branded yourself pretty well on your own. If you Thank look you. up D apostrophe N M E, if you Google it, you're gonna find you, man. You're gonna find all your social media. Definitely. You're gonna find your your official webpage. And uh, is that the only way you want people to contact you? And and what kind of project are are you open to if if somebody wants to uh, collaborate? with you what what do you what are you open to uh like uh, at the moment i'm working on a ep so i'm I'm probably gonna try and put that out next year just because the whole um the quarantine thing again i wasn't discouraged in any way i had more time to just practice on my craft and work on stuff so it wasn't that but just traveling i would have to go out there and work on other stuff but when people contact me instagram is not is good because that's my um you can just click email it goes right to contact official.com so you can get at me through my website and different things and honestly it just depends like if again with collaborations it really depends because right now we're in a state where you can just do you can send something to somebody they can send it back but you're not like physically in the studio right. which i go to the studio with john and it, it like that kinships there you, you can say you know like that that music relationship has been built so when someone's like oh hey let's just work on something it's like just throwing it together it might not be as quality driven as it could be you know if we would kind of figure it out how can we do this and make this just a bigger project for me i'm always about just doing things in a in a not necessarily a right way because right is different for everybody else but just in a professional way you know being professional about how we do stuff like i don't want to just rap on something. I send you the verse, it mixes and you know, it's put together and things are sounding weird and we sound like we're in two different places. You know, if we're going to collaborate, I want to do it the right way in my, uh, what's right to me. Oh, Deanna, you, you got it. You've hit the nail on the head. There's some things that you need to be in the same room uh, to Absolutely. work on. And you, and you do have that, that uh, camaraderie with your, your producer. And I'm, I'm glad you have a John. Everyone needs a John, man. Everybody needs somebody <laughs> that you could, bounce ideas off of you i'm sure you show up 
with your notebook and you go, Hey, how about this? And then you'll say, mm-hmm. Hey, how about we just twist it around this way? You know, and, yeah. and you, and you have to, to uh, come to an agreement and, and, and it, Hey, sometimes a, a producer that they've been doing it long enough, they know what sounds right. They know what's mm-hmm. going to sound better. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. Sure. It's like the editor on a movie film. That, those mm-hmm. are usually the guys that, that put it all together and get it, yeah, get it cut sure. just right. Even though the director says, Oh, but I like that part. Yeah. You need to cut that out of there. <laughs> you need to get yeah. that right out of there. And, and that's what a, a producer will do for you is he'll for trim sure. it, trim all the fat and get just that, that solid, uh, performance level up man. exactly just what needs to be there ah oh, excellent man dnme i'm glad to know you man it's good to talk to you finally likewise thank um, you for having me i appreciate it oh for sure and I'm as we wind this thing it. down uh i usually finish it off with last words for the people um mm-hmm. uh, it could be you know words to live by uh mm-hmm. words that you heard a long time ago or something that you know a mantra that you may or may not have put into a rap by now or just whatever pops into your head at this moment in time. Deanna last words for the people. Okay, something that actually sticks out to me is um, the toes you step on on the way to the top are attached to the asses you have to kiss on the way down. So you got to be right with people. You got to just be respectful and professional with people. And always look at yourself as the best in whatever you do. Well, there you have it, party people. The enemy. That's a good dude, man. I enjoyed talking to him. And he has learned a lot about his craft. He's not only a great rapper, but he's also a good businessman as well. He learned that all on his own, pretty much all on his own. Yes, he's had a, a few mentors that he was able to pick their brains as he was growing up. But my goodness, it's good to talk to this young man out of Toronto, Canada. Oh, man, I see nothing but great things happening for you. So look for him, D-N-M-E, D-apostrophe, N-M-E. Look for him. It's D-N-M-E-official.com. That's his website. And you can find all the social media right there, and it'll it'll show you the the website. There's a a place to get the merchandise. I know that uh, as of the time that we're recording this, uh, it's not quite out there, but he has a uh, some T-shirts and some hoodies available, uh, hopefully real soon. There's some press. There's an about page, there's, and there's a page to contact him. So give him a follow, man, and find out more. And let, take a listen on Spotify and Apple and all those other places that you find music. Those are the two that come to mind. Those seem to be the two biggest ones. I know you mentioned a few other ones, but uh, yeah. Man, good to know you, D-Enemy. <laughs> that, that's a, you know, it, it's kind of a... It's so funny that, that the name the enemy, it's so ironic because he seems like a, a good person, a good friend. So it, it, it's, uh, it's uh, completely ironic. <laughs> seems like he's a good dude. Nice to know you, the enemy. All right, that's it for this edition of What Makes You Famous. If you'd like to tell your story, yes, you, my loyal listener. If you'd like to tell your story, I encourage you to give me a call, 501 501- Four seven zero six three eight six, or email info at radiowhat.com. That's it for me. It's Keys Dan, radiowhat.com, djlittlerock.com. Peace. I'm out of here. If you like what you hear, follow What Makes You Famous social media. Use the hashtag What Makes You Famous. Follow on Facebook at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Instagram at What Makes You Famous. 
follow on Twitter at Makes Famous and follow on YouTube at Keys Dan. Leave What Makes You Famous podcast a review and subscribe. Listen to What Makes You Famous podcast on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and almost anywhere you find podcasts. Tell your story on my podcast, What Makes You Famous. Call 501-470-6386 and leave a message to set up a time. You can support What Makes You Famous using the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash keys dan email info at radio what.com what makes you famous podcast is a production of keys dan enterprises incorporated at keys thank you for listening radio what the music you want hey guys this is shelly g with a fast fact global sales of pre-recorded music total more than 40 billion dollars do you have a fast fact? Share it with us at Interactive Radio, RadioWhat.com. Tweet, tweet, yo. Follow Radio What on Twitter at RadioWhatTwit. Tweet, tweet, yo.